me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your scriptures, that they speak life into our situations, giving us a rock-solid foundation to lean on. And so we thank you for this word. And we do pray that as we reflect upon Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 37, and its implications for our life, we may be transformed into new people, renewed people in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. When I looked around at the world, particularly last year, it was to me a place of incredible disorder. Particularly when I was sitting there behind my laptop screen, like many of us were in our lockdown, looking at people shopping, shopping for toilet paper, swearing at each other, pushing each other over to grab that last piece of toilet paper. People were getting five years worth of toilet paper. People probably still in their houses right now have a cliff face full of toilet paper. Our world can be a quite a chaotic place. And my question is this, how should we as Christians respond to the increasing disorder we see around us? Well, friends, if the world is becoming increasingly disordered, our act of resistance as the people of God is to be people who establish order. In a sense, this is the call of our lives. The good order of God established in creation has been disrupted by the fall of humanity. And due to our sin, we have become lawless, living by our unrestrained self ever since. Paul the Apostle says this in Romans chapter 1, verses 24 to 25. Let me read it. God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. But as blood-washed sinners, redeemed into the image of Christ, called to be like Christ, called to follow his way, we are now called to do the opposite of what humanity did at the fall, to be people who re-establish order. And this brings God great pleasure. Paul says, I delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. But your question might be, where do we start? Where do we start when it comes to becoming people of order, following the way of Jesus Christ? Well, to become people of order, many modern pastors are learning from our church traditions. Many are turning to the Benedictine monks, for example. They turn to them because they are experts in establishing order, routine. After the fall of Rome in the late 6th century, these monks withdrew from the society and formed a countercultural community. To obtain order amongst, amongst the chaos of barbarianism, the Benedictines created what is typically called a rule of life. And I want to share what a rule of life is on the screen. 
A rule of life is an intentional plan of spiritual disciplines that serves as a training program to shape our attitudes and behaviours towards love of God and our neighbour. And so by living out an ordered rule of life, the beauty of God was seen in the stability of these monks amid the chaos of barbarianism. In fact, according to St. Benedict's rule, the monks were required to take a vow of stability. By living rooted lives, they became stable trees planted by streams of water, producing spiritual fruit in season. Since they were so different to the world around them, the culture of anarchy was challenged by their countercultural lifestyle. As people looked at these monks living simple, godly lives, they were surprised in a way in which drew them out of barbarianism and the anarchy around them so that they could worship alongside them and establish Christian community amid chaos. And it challenges me for a reason this. According to our present culture, success, according to our narrative today, is being free from all commitments. Rod Redner says this. Instead of believing that structure is good and the duties to home and family lead us to live rightly, people today have been tricked into believing that maximising Individual happiness should be the goal of life. The villain of St. Benedict's rule is the hero of our culture. And so in an order where we're actually trying to break down systems and structures to make sure that I can be who I want to be is actually destroying what Christ has called us to be as people who establish ordered lives. And so we as Christians, if we want to move ahead in our current culture, actually need to be a counterculture if we want to see the culture redeemed, saved, converted. Think about this, for example, and you don't have to agree with me, this is just my reflections. Our culture proclaims, do what makes you happy, don't let anyone stop you, and be yourself. The irony of this unrestrained individualism is that it actually erodes our freedom in Christ. Christian freedom means conforming ourselves to the order, to the way of Jesus. Peter the the apostle says, live as free children, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Freedom is found in our servitude to Christ to be servants of Christ, to practice the way of Christ, not to practice our own inward feelings and emotions and desires, but to practice the way of self-denial. Jesus, to carry his cross, our cross, and follow him. That is the Christian identity, which is opposed to the idea of being yourself. Since the way of Jesus is perfect, the stability that flows from being his servants Anchor us and give us the freedom we groan for. Order helps us to find our true source of joy, which comes from God. Simplicity, order are actually good things. They liberate us from ourselves so that we can be people of freedom in Christ. And so here's my point in all this. Establishing rules that create order will help us thrive in a world 
of disorder. By establishing a stable rule of life as a church family, we will indeed outwit and outlast the looming social anarchy that is on the horizon. If we refuse to change our tact, we'll find ourselves blown out to sea with no gospel to stand on at all. Unfortunately, due to things like freedom of speech, the voice of the Christian society is dying. Due to conscience, some physicians can no longer treat patients due to issues that they cannot support. And so the Christian voice, the traditional Christian voice, that is, is slowly being isolated from the public square, from the marketplace, to the fringes of society, like the monks in the 6th century due to barbarianism. And so I believe the church must create a rule of life that enables the sacred order of Christ to thrive for generations to come, or it will be lost in the West as churches continue to die. And so where do we start with this? Where do we start when establishing order? We begin to establish order by becoming who we are, apprentices of Jesus Christ. Mark Comer says, who's a spiritual teacher in America, apprentices of Jesus order their lives around three essential goals, being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. That really is what I mean by discipleship, being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing what Jesus did. In other words, to overcome disorder in our world, it's critical that our lives are patterned after Christ in a deep way. In our new teaching series, Be Still, we will therefore look at the lifestyle of Jesus. We'll look particularly at his life of solitude, prayer, rest, and community. These spiritual practices, which are dominated by prayer, will give us order and peace in our everyday lives, despite the chaos around us. As we establish this simple rule of life, our church will become a radical counterculture, or dare I say, monastery. Through our apprenticeship to Jesus, we'll offer our divided world a richer, a better alternative, something that is full of stability. And the practice of solitude is where our counterculture begins today. And we see this in that Mark reading there that I read before. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And so the step towards solitude is actually the step to depart. This departure requires Jesus to sacrifice sleep and comfort. He rose early in the morning and ventured into a solitary place. This was a place of isolation, silence, a place without any distractions, disruptions. This place may have been a garden, a mountain, beside the sea, maybe even the desert. For us, it could be a chair in our home, a quiet cafe, a park bench, Wherever he went that morning, Jesus desired to quieten his soul before God, to deeply connect with God through prayer, to deny himself and rely fully on the one 
who gives him breath, who enables him to walk and do his ministry each day. Catherine um, Doherty explains the purpose of this practice with these words. True silence is the search of man for God. True silence is a suspension bridge that a soul in love with God builds to cross the dark, frightening gullies of its own mind, the strange chasms of temptation, the depthless cliff of its own fears that obstruct its way to God. And so solitude and silence, withdrawing, creates an environment where our soul, the deepest part of ourselves, can draw close to God. For this reason, solitude is important. Enjoying intimacy with God is the gift of the gospel. And the truth is, if we never stop, slow down and pray, our mind, our heart, our body, our soul will be only filled with ourselves. Or more accurately put, the destructive white noise of our world. If our lives are full of busyness, endless activity, we make ourselves incredibly weak and disconnected from God. The first step in regaining strength in God is by creating a space in our lives for solitude, to think and pray, to lean on God in a deep way. I'm going to share a pretty raw story with you. Last summer, I went away to stop, reflect, and commune with God. In this time, I realized that in my fast-paced, achievement-centered mindset, I was left exhausted, unstable, spiritually depleted as your minister. Saying, I'm so busy, became a statement of pride. It was not until I entered solitude, just me and God, that I identified a problem. I was isolating God through my busyness. I was becoming self-reliant. I then tried to hide this reality with television, books, wandering the streets, calling home. Yet after a while, I stopped hiding. The shame was intense. In the stillness of solitude, I then recognised the problem. The world was making me one of their own. I was becoming an autonomous, freely choosing individual, finding meaning in no one but myself. In solitude, God then detoxed my soul. He crushed my idol of self-dependence. In the silence, I was set free from my inner mess in that moment. Some people may say, Jesse, you looked after a church during COVID-19. You had to be busy. But I got to the point where I became so busy that God was absent. And so I praise God for this time 
of solitude. Ruth Barton explains this in her book, Invitation to Silence and Solitude. I recommend getting a copy. In solitude, God begins to free us from our bondage to human expectations. For there we experience God as our ultimate reality, the one in whom we live and move and have our being. In solitude, our thoughts and our mind, our will and our desires are reoriented Godward. So we become less and less attracted by external forces and can be more deeply responsive to God. That was what was happening to me. As I separated myself from external, the world around me forces, I was more attuned to what God desired for me and just talking to him and enjoying him. And so solitude is a powerful practice for today where everyone says, I am so busy. I am so restless. I've got no time. Solitude is a countercultural practice for today. For there in the silence of prayer, we abandon our desire to control ourselves. Through our self-denial, God then takes control of us. In the silence, God, our divine physician, performs deep spiritual surgery in us. I love what this guy called Carl Areco says. The surgery is getting to the root of the stuff inside of us that prevents us from seeing and hearing the gospel. Then once the surgery is completed, the shackles of our burdens are released. We are then ready to re-enter the world. Indeed, we are ready to hear the voice of the disciples. Everyone is looking for you. And so when I came out of solitude last summer, I was ready to hear my children say, Daddy, we need you. I was actually energized now to do the work of ministry, to care for my home, to care for the church. I was re-energized by God because I entered into a private place of prayer where God did a deep work in my soul and brought healing to it so I could go forth and serve. Solitude must always lead us back to our family our friends, our responsibilities. We're not called to be hermits. Don't get me, don't hear that. We're called to enter into solitude so that we are refreshed, so that we can continue doing the work of ministry. Catherine Doherty, who I quoted before, says this. This silence then will break forth in a charity that overflows in the service of the neighbour without counting the cost. It will witness to Christ anywhere, always, Availability will become a delight and easy. Hospitality will be deep and real. For a silent heart is a loving heart. And a loving heart is a place of care to the world. Solitude should cause us to re-enter the world with joy and service, ready to bring chaos back into order. And so how can we practice solitude? That's the practical question, how? I've, I've shared It's power in our lives. So how should we practice it? Well, it might take a few days to implement this practice or months or years. Consider following these six steps. The first step is to identify the space and time in your life for solitude. When are you going to set aside an hour, two hours, a week maybe, 
just to spend time with God. Second, determine the length of the time in solitude. How long will you stay there? Third, settle into a quiet, comfortable position. It's important to be relaxed in solitude. Because if your mind is going a million miles an hour thinking about what you need to do next, you won't enter into a prayerful space. So be relaxed. Maybe do some breathing exercises. Fourth, express your openness and desire for God. Speak to him like a little child. You don't have to have your prayer perfect written down. Just speak to God. It might be even just one word that is on your conscience. Bring that before God. Five, enjoy the presence of God at work within you. Remember, he's doing deep surgery in you, your soul, as you spend time with him. And six, conclude solitude with a prayer of gratitude. Give thanks to God for that time well spent with him. And seven, if you wanted to add another one, go out in joyful service. God has given you the energy to keep doing his work. To bring order to our broken world. As you practice these steps, remember that solitude must begin with the expectation of encountering God. Not a God of disorder, as Paul says, but the God of peace. And so I pray that you will indeed practice this this as you seek to live out the way of Jesus Christ. Amen.